This podcast comes to you from seven and a half seconds in the future. We're talking time slip on this special bonus episode of Have You Seen? Hello, friends from the internet, and welcome indeed to this special bonus episode of Have You Seen? Um, almost entirely unplanned. Uh, we have finished the regular season, as you probably hopefully will have noticed and i i imagine you were just begging for more content um so uh, an opportunity came up to do a special bonus episode a couple of special bonus episodes we've done one that is uh, youtube only and video only and this one which will be audio only uh, so if you want both of them you have to visit both platforms we're sneaky like that um i am joined as always by uh, tom two minutes to midnight web hello I don't have to wait for you to wave because we're not doing this on video. No, I looked. No. I looked at the screen. I was expecting you to wave. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess that makes me Kieran. Twenty-one seconds to go, Lafort. Uh, and we are talking about Time Slip, which is an odd movie from the fifties about mm. a man whose brain is living seven and a half seconds in the future. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It's also called the Atomic Man. It is. Yeah. Which is a better and worse title all at the same time. Yes, it was based on a book it, called Isotope Man, which again is yes. a better and worse title. Indeed, but I think, so in the UK it's time slip, but in the US it's 20 minutes shorter and The Atomic Man. Wow, okay. Uh, 20 and minutes I presume shorter? It's the, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, uh, and I presume it's Atomic Man because they couldn't trust most of America to know what an isotope was. I don't know. I think Time Slip is the best title. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but I don't know. We'll get into it. We'll yeah, get into it. Right. Um, so this came about because our lovely film critic friend, uh, Matthew Turner, who loves films from this era, uh, tweeted about Time Slip being aired on UK TV. UK TV. What's UK? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a Freudian <laughs> slip. <laughs> I think that's the you find that near Babe Station. Um <laughs> Uh, and the premise was just so intriguing. We decided before we'd even seen it that we yeah. should do a bonus episode on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just from um, that tweet, I think we were both yeah, like, Ooh. "Yeah, I don't have the original tweet to hand, yeah. uh, but I did find a synopsis that kind of sums it up online, right. uh, which was." Um, an injured man is pulled from the Thames. He's been shot in the back and is barely alive. The science correspondent of an illustrated magazine recognises him as a nuclear physicist. But the physicist is alive and well and working at his lap. When the injured man is photographed, his pictures show a strange glow surrounding him. And when he recovers enough to be questioned, his answers make no sense. The correspondent and his photographer girlfriend try to solve the puzzle and in doing so uncover international industrial espionage and a terrible threat to the Atomic Research Institute. Yep, that's that's pretty that's the whole story, that's pretty much, isn't it? See you later. Good night. Yeah, yeah there's a few yeah. few extra plot devices. Um, where would you like to start with this? Uh, it's tricky, really. Um, hmm. Do you think we should do like our overriding thoughts of it first, and then dive into the minutia of it, or go around the other way? I don't know. I mean. Giving your thoughts at the beginning kind of uh, gives people no reason to listen to the end, does it? Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, (laughs) Podcasting 101. Um, Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I'll give you my favourite piece of trivia about it to start with. Go for it. In that uh, this movie inspired one of the most famous two Ronnie's sketches of all time. 
Did it? It did. You know, where did you find your trivia? Because I didn't find this. So there's a two Ronnies sketch where uh, it's they're playing the UK. uh, There's a UK quiz show called Mastermind. Right. And uh, the premise of the so Mastermind, if for those in the US and people who haven't seen it, is really simple. There's a black leather chair. Someone sits in it. They get asked questions until a timer runs out. And the person who answers the most questions in the time wins. It's that simple, but it's full of tension the way they do it in the UK. Pass the bonus round of the specialist subjects. Yeah, and they do specialist subjects. Yeah. Um, but the, I can't remember, I think it's Ronnie Barker asking the questions and Ronnie Corbett answering the questions, but he's answering mm. So it uses the the time slip premise where he's answering the question off before it's asked. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So they've one thing the two Ronnies used to do brilliantly well is wordplay and language comedy. Mm. And they managed to set up that gag and that conceit within Mastermind and pay off to brilliant effect mm. with the questions and answers. Um so yeah, and and it's like I I've seen that sketch countless times, and then seeing that it's it played out pretty much in this movie was just like okay, that's that's pretty cool that that's where they got it from because it you know it must mm. have been such a, a a small movie I guess. Yeah, like there's nobody in this you've ever heard. No, of. no. Um, I tried to do a bit of a uh, uh, a bit of research. Um, Gene Nelson, who's the guy who plays uh, Delaney, the reporter, mm-hmm. um, Mike Delaney. He was uh, Mike Delaney. Yeah, yeah. Who, not the one we used to work with. But... <laughs> no, not the one we used to work. With, and I hadn't made that connection until now. <laughs> no, I hadn't until I saw his name on a door, and I was just like, "Wait, wait, what?" Yeah. <laughs> um, so he uh, um, he was in Oklahoma, which came out the same year, having done it on stage previously. Right. Okay. Um, he then went on to direct seven movies, none oh. of them you've ever heard of, right. but a sh- crazy amount of TV, including episodes of I Dream of Genie, Ironside, Star Trek, Hawaii Five-0, and Starsky and Hutch. Oh, nice. I love Starsky and Hutch. Uh, and his last acting credit was an episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1987. Oh, wow. Okay. Because the only one I uh, thing I could find was the director that also directed Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And that was the other one. Yeah, yes. which I haven't seen. But, um, uh, which the guy who plays uh, Rainer, who's mm. the um, who's the scientist, he's in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other, stuck together. The only other connections I could find uh, were the guy who plays the Irish police inspector. He was mm. the doctor on the Titanic in A Night to Remember. Oh, really? Yeah, and the, oh, it's nice that we can tie this back into uh, Have yeah, You Seen? At yeah, least. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, the director of this also wrote an episode of Colditz, the TV series, which I absolutely love, which I've mentioned on the show before. Um, but yeah, I, again, like they're, they're pretty small connections and tenuous. Like there's not there's not a big star, there's not a big director, no writer. There's clearly not a big budget for this film. No. Um, and as we said, the premise was just very intriguing. Mm. And... It's kind of successful and kind of not. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think more could have been made of it than was. Yeah. It, it seems to the fact that the time slip element of it only really matters for two scenes. Yes. And the guy it's happening to is confined to a bed for the whole film. Yeah. 
So when when we first saw the synopsis, I thought that the person found in the Thames would be a, I don't know, let's call it an atomic projection seven seconds in the future of a man who was alive and well. So it's like yeah. like the, the the atomic man, if you like, is is an alternate version of but he's the the guy who's slightly in the future. Yeah. And and yeah and Jesus, how do you film that? Well no, I mean it's like, you know, you could have the two okay, you could have uh It's fine if they're not interacting. Yes, you could have the two people, like they're in different places, but one is still do you know what I mean? So it's like he's he's an atomic projection that's been created by an experiment and the other guy mm. doesn't even necessarily realise has gone about his day and then this entity is doing whatever he's doing but he happens to be seven and a half seconds ahead of everybody else. That's what I thought it was going to be. Mm. So that's, that's largely what I thought it would be as well. Mm. Instead, it's sort of a... It's almost a a detective story it's a yeah, mystery it is, it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of gumshoe work industrial espionage industrial espionage exactly yeah. um and it, it there's a lot of similarities with thunderball i haven't seen Bond that movie tell us about thunderball so in thunderball a uh the only thing i know about it is the uh the tom jones um theme song yes very where he apparently out. Ne- nearly killed himself yeah. doing the high note at the end yeah. um so the, the the concept of Thunderball is that um, a I think it's a a Vulcan jet is stolen with a nuclear warhead on board or two nuclear warheads on board, mm-hmm. um, and the way they do it is using plastic surgery and doubles. Right. Oh yeah, haven't mentioned that bit yet. Yeah, exactly. So like, <laughs> so the the whole kind of like atomic stuff, plastic surgery, doubles, like, and all of that kind of the the, the elements of Thunderball that that has to sort of feel similar to this. Thunderball is sixty five. Well, the movie is, but I can't remember when the yeah, book yeah, yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I think the book would have been in the mid fifties, around the time this yeah. movie came. So out. around, uh, so around this time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can yeah, and you know, um, atomic stuff was all very zeitgeisty at this time as well. Oh, very much so. Yeah, what yeah. With very the U.S. Much. nuclear tests and yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, I might as well start at the beginning. I suppose I say start. We're like ten minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm talking about starting. Um. My very first note is of the Anglo amalgamated logo. Yeah. Which is of a, a muscular, scantily clad gent standing atop the globe mm. with what appears to be a large piece of driftwood jammed between his thighs. <laughs> That's not a euphemism. It actually looks like a piece of a ship is is between his legs. I, I yeah, I mean the you know, you said in the synopsis like it's the guys found in the Thames and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Like, a lot of the lead characters seem to be American for no reason. I did notice that this magazine seems to send an awful lot of Americans over. Mm, they seem to just be... The editor, like, the main guy, the photographer. I think there's at least one other as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Everyone apart from, like, the, the print room boy or whatever he was, it was Charles Hawtrey. Office boy. Office boy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, there are three <laughs> dreadful performances in this film. Yes. The woman, the receptionist of the photo library, 
Hey, Mr. Delaney. I can't yeah. get high enough. No. But that sounded like dreadful. And that sounded like something out of the goons. <laughs> um, the magazine editor is terrible. Yes. And he's clearly British trying to put on an American accent and failing. Yeah. Uh, and then the office boy, who, as you said, is kind of Charles Hawtrey ish. No, he is Charles um, Hawtrey. Was it? Yes. Is it? Yeah. Is, is actually okay. him. Because I looked it right. up and oh, it, 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 yeah, no, it's actually him. And uh, this was fifty-five, and the first Carry On movie was fifty-eight. I see. I just thought he was a guy trying to do that sort of thing, and I thought the character was maybe supposed to be gay or at least camp, but neither the actor or the director wanted to commit to that. Well, I mean, that sums up Charles given Audrey 1950s, in, in, in any well, Carry yeah, On movie. Given 50s. But yeah, same with Kenneth Williams. But it's it's yeah, because I was just watching it thinking. Oh wow! I mean, that is definitely him. And but surely, because I knew that I think it's. Car- I haven't seen enough Carry On. I don't think. To, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, trying to. Watch, I know the type. Yeah. But not the, what, not the, watching the guy. Them, watching them now, they're not. They they haven't aged. Well. I imagine they don't hold up very well at all no. in many many senses. No, but I have to say, Charles Hawtrey has the best physical gag in the first movie, which is Carry On Sergeant, which is. Uh, hmm. a group of men doing their national service hmm. and they're learning to stand to attention and the sergeant calls attention and they all snap their arms to their legs together and their their arms go up but he goes with the wrong arm and in doing so knocks one foot out from under him because he slapped his feet together so hard but manages to hook arms with the guy next to him so it, <laughs> so it holds him up and it's he it's proper Buster Keaton stuff, mm. but like you say, he I mean in every Carry On movie he's just crazy like over the top like that like yeah. you know it, he found his niche put it that way, yeah, yeah, and you know if it pays the bills why straighten the niche <laughs> exactly yeah yeah, um Delaney looks like Gary Oldman crossed with David Bowie, God yes he does specifically <laughs> specifically um Stella Street David Bowie. <laughs> doesn't he like phil cornwall doing that with the hat <laughs> yeah and the yeah. suit yeah absolutely yeah yeah i watched a couple of those the other night after hearing sean sessions had died i've only seen a couple of them oh really okay. yeah it never i don't know I, it kind of passed me by i think some scampers put them all up on youtube oh interesting yeah i mean is it not is a bbc thing is it not an iplayer uh no, it's not. Um, it, it, I think it was Channel 4, actually. Oh, they they were 10-minute episodes that were mm. used to fill in a gap from, like, uh, after an evening's worth of short sit- American sitcoms. I think they filled yeah, the gap. Yeah, 22-minute shows that didn't quite fill half yeah. an hour. And, and, and it, with our advertising regulations, we couldn't pad it out with commercials. Yeah, and it, it literally looks... I think it maybe it was BBC. Maybe it was BBC. I can't remember, but it was used for that purpose, and it yeah. looks like it's shot on the old SVHS camcorders we had at college. <laughs> like the white balance is awful, and the, the like, just the quality of it is is pretty poor. But it's mm-hmm. worth worth a watch because it's just the two of them doing very silly impressions. Mm. Um, first sign that it's nineteen fifty five. Surgeon sparking up a fag right outside the theatre directly after the operation. That's one of my notes. It's like doctors smoking in hospitals is one of those things that seems so far removed from the modern world. 
It's so weird. It's just unbelievable. There's a bit jarring. later on where I there's a bit later on where I think he sparks up uh in his in his bed. <laughs> right. In, in his hospital bed, yeah, yeah. I just, everybody is smoking in there. I, I just like, I mean, I'm old enough to remember people smoking on like underground trains. Yeah, planes. And My mum smoked through, smoked through two out of three pregnancies because it wasn't a thing in the 80s. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to kind of remember the prevalence of it and, you know, just yeah. obviously people in the street and restaurants and theatres and yeah. cinemas and God knows what, but in a hospital is like that's really yeah. just what yeah. you know it, it happens in the exorcist as well that's and that's always one of the bits that i find most jarring in the exorcist is when he dr sparks up a cigarette and <laughs> um, well i mean a lot of smoking has kind of been eradicated from films now anyway like characters yeah. just tend not to do it yeah. unless they're a villain it's something a bad guy does like heroes don't smoke anymore no 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 you can't do any and and you know there's obviously you know now that the global markets yeah are more important they need yeah. to you know it's like sports like formula one used to be a just like you know the cars used to be people smoking in the pit lane the yeah. yeah exactly and you know and there's <laughs> There's a great bit from one of the one of the races that's being commentated by Clive James. It's like Kiki Rosberg turns up for a pit stop. It takes ten seconds, and he's like, "Had just enough time to light up a fag," because he was never <laughs> seen without one. <laughs> We're really straying all over the place. I know. I'm sorry. Today, I'm, I'm getting a bit tangential, is, aren't I? Is that a uh, is is that a sign of how we feel about the film? I think it is because I I. I didn't really want to get to the point of this this quickly, but my my overriding feeling of it is that it is a an amazing premise for a film, but it is poorly executed. It's been done. It's it's been done dirty by a yeah. poor script and a lack of budget. Yeah, and not great. I, acting. I think I think the best thing I can say about this film is I don't dislike it. No, I didn't. I I it has its charm. Yeah, but I struggled to kind of keep my interest. Like you know, like I'm not sure I would have kept my interest if we weren't doing it for the for the show. Like it was fine, but I, well, I we, just we had to record this on TV, off yes. TV, and with ad breaks. Yeah, this is, this is this was two hours. Yeah, it's supposed to be what one thirty three, but because like yeah, because it's because it's on a it was on a like one of those like I don't it wasn't Turner Classic Movies, but it's that sort of thing. No, um, yeah, but yeah, I sat there thinking imagine what this film would have been if it had been hitchcock james stewart and joseph cotton or robert i robert donat or someone like that i think it wants to be a hitchcock Mm. type film yeah like the dialogue very much wants to be that snappy american pattern yes and whoever's writing it can't do it people just talk to fill in gaps without actually saying anything and they bounce backwards and forwards but there's no there's no wit to the interplay apart no. from a couple of there's a couple of moments there's one i liked which was um so the the photographer girl is always hungry mm. and Delaney, delaney's like food food that's all you think about and she says i'm a growing girl and he replies well stop growing and then she steals a sandwich off the <laughs> off a trolley that passes by yeah i just like i think it's funny you talk about that american style patter that's this very kind of 1940s uh, th- uh it's kind of uh noir the dialogue wants to very be snappy. some like it hot yeah exactly but the i think where that falls down a bit is the british actors are 
are doing i think their performances on the whole are better and more natural because they're not doing that but it's incongruous with the style and the american actors who are doing that so that's why i don't think it works because i thought like the guy who played the doctor and the inspector i thought they were they were they were good they were more convincing in their characters than Mm. the other people but Mm. it but it it was like they were in a in a different film you know they're in a night to remember and uh the lead guy and the photographer lady are in some like it hot yes and it and it doesn't mesh no it doesn't it doesn't um it was very clearly written by a brit like a lot of the americans dialogue is off yeah. like the american characters even if they've been here a while use words they wouldn't use yeah um and what did make me laugh is at least they knew where Stevenage is in relation to London. <laughs> yes. And these poor Americans being sent to Stevenage of all places. I was just like, really? For our international listeners, Stevenage is shit. <laughs> it's the town of many roundabouts. Yeah. That's the only thing I remember about Stevenage. And I went there uh, once for a birthday party where Carol Decker from Tapau turned up. Oh, wow. Okay, its biggest claim to fame now is that's where Lewis Hamilton's from. Oh, yeah, Yeah, lucky him. Does a head X-ray seem like a risky procedure to you in 1955? I mean, it seems like a fairly risky procedure in 2020. Um, Ah, I've had one. It's all right. I I mean, yeah. I mean, you're not supposed to have too many, are you? No, I can't remember what it was. Is it back? That's one of the worst. I would imagine back and head are the worst, aren't they? To have. Yeah, because well, of the nervous no, I've system. The, I've had the I've had the old head done for um, dental stuff before. Oh yeah, and I've had I a guess. CAT scan, a couple of CAT scans actually. Oh, no, no. That makes it. This makes it sound like I'm like on death's door. <laughs> I'm not. Don't worry. Um, it's an accident prone. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the all the gear they had and the state of the like. Yeah. I don't know. Like I guess it was still, it must have been still fairly, not quite experimental, but you know, that's a good point. It's actually. a bit. It seems I don't know when X-rays it, were. Neither do I. I don't know. It just. I not, feel like it's it experimental. Like, it still seemed a bit public beta. I, I feel like the X-ray was like eighteen hundreds, surely, but but in really? in in like full medical use. Yeah, I mean, this didn't quite look as terrifying as all the medical procedures in The Exorcist. No, that's true. Which is just like horrific, but I still wouldn't want to stick my head in a 1955 x-ray machine. No, definitely not. Because uh, you just kind of like, I don't know, I guess, it, I mean, was it safe? I guess it must have been safe, right? That's <laughs> right, moving as x-ray propaganda. Uh, x-rays were discovered in 1895. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. But when did they hit common usage? X. Wow, the the earliest experimenter to have produced X-rays was actually in 1785. Jesus, uh, hang on, I'm trying to find. I definitely out. wouldn't want one then. No, no, uh, this is all like experimental stuff. Uh, oh, mm. so it was Nikolai Tesla who discovered that X-rays damaged film. Right. So, and that was in 1894. Right. Uh, and then, oh, Wilhelm Röntgen. Stumbled on x-rays. I wonder if that's why. Isn't that the measurement of. Isn't that a a measurement of radiation, Röntgen? 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Have You Scanned, the new X-ray <laughs> podcast. Oh, sorry, I'm really getting strange. Um, let's have a look. At I'm trying to find out. I'm just trying to find a definitive date. Uh, yeah. Uh, da, da, da. It's just so complicated because it's just the the thing. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, I've just found, just found a picture of William Röntgen's hand that he did yes. an X-ray of in 1895. Yeah. Okay, what was wrong with it? No, he just he just did it as like oh, he just did it for fun, yeah. like he hadn't broken a finger or anything. Well, okay. Yeah, no, he hadn't. He had a ring on by the look of it, uh, but he didn't have a broken finger uh, or a knuckle okay. knuckle duster maybe. Um, <laughs> but, uh, ta, 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 ta. but I mean, I can see pictures like there are there are pictures from eighteen ninety seven of it being used in a in a medical setting all right okay well maybe 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 it's just me or maybe this hospital just had a machine from 1897 yeah i mean okay so it must have been pretty common by then i guess hmm. but the point of this is i mean Sorry. i mean this is a film that not many people will have seen i suppose so we should explain these comments as we go that's, yes that's a very good point um right. because uh so they 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 x-ray so the man they dredge out of the thames um they pull the bullets out of his back, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is where he he dies, quote unquote, dies for seven and a half between seven and eight seconds. Yeah. They say um, uh, he's having the X rays fairly routine, um, but they uh, when they get the results back, they discover that um, his his slides are completely blank, um, and he's also, as we mentioned in the in the intro. Um, uh, whenever he's photographed, a strange glow appears around him. Yeah, um, and this is one of the things like the photographer tries to solve is by going and like she's a very experienced photographer, and you know this sort of thing has never happened before. Like she, she hasn't made a mistake with the film; she knows how to load her camera, all the rest of it. Yeah. She photographs uh, other people, and the uh, the glow doesn't appear; it only appears around this man. Um, uh, talking of fifties uh, technology, um, two things, three things. Uh, extra technology things made me laugh. Um, her compact camera would be laughable now, because <laughs> like it, it is a brick with a yeah. with a flash attached to it. Uh, and it, this is going to be really geeky. I have a feeling. I bet you know what it is. No, well, I don't know what it is because I couldn't check. But it looks very, very similar to. Um, I think I think it's called an Argus C three or C five or something like that, and mm-hmm. it's the camera that colin creevy has in harry potter and the chamber of secrets i think it's the same uh, i think it's the same camera or this like similar model um but it's definitely it's got loads of bits on it so i think that like there's some extra stuff added onto it so i can't quite couldn't quite work out what it was i was hoping there'd be like an imdb database for cameras in movies um like there is for cars um but i couldn't find one i mean you could start one no <laughs> no no. You don't have that much time no, on your hands. I don't, no. no. <laughs> um, the second thing is, um, there's a bit where they decide they want to interview this man in the hospital bed. Um, so, uh, photographer lady. Oh God, she's got a name. I should use her name, uh, which I can't find. Uh, her surname is Rabowski. I can't remember her her um, her first name. Uh, yeah, the only name that they kind of really were Rainer and Delaney. That they, yeah. that they use. No, she gets called by her name Is as she? well. She gets called Rabowski, yeah, a, a few times, but I, I honestly can't remember her first name. It's probably in the credits. Um, uh, so she goes and gets a tape recorder 
and she has to sneak the tape recorder out of the office. Remember, this is 1955. Yeah. And then there's a, uh, a scene where she goes to uh, Delaney and says, here's your tape recorder, and hands him a fucking suitcase. <laughs> That's right, because in the, in the thing, he's like, sneak out the tape recorder, sneak out the tape recorder. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? Put it out of my shirt or something like that. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and in the 21st oh, yeah. century, you're thinking like, they'll go in your pocket, love. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah. uh, and then this gigantic thing that you'd have to pay extra to get on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does take three intelligent adults far too long to figure out that Rainer is answering questions before he's been asked them. Yes. Yeah, it does. Like, I figured it out from the first time the doctor asks him questions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, there's. I think there's... One initial scene where things seem a bit off, and that's when you can tell. Mm. And then there's the follow-up mm. scene where they interview him, which they tape and then listen back to, and it's when they listen back to it that they figure it out. But you're right, yes. yeah, yeah. You know, I will say, um, contrary to many films and TV shows, the tape they play back is actually what was recorded. Because there are so oh, many really? instances in movies yeah. and TV shows where somebody plays a tape that was recorded earlier and it contained dialogue or different takes to what was actually said in the scene you've just watched. That's brilliant. Well, See, although they did, the room. They did have the uh, movie trick of always being able to rewind a tape to the exact moment you need it to stop. There, there is that. There is that, yes. I'd love to be able to do that. Um, my third uh, 1955 technology uh, note is... How exactly are you timing half seconds on a 1955 rotary watch? That seems incredibly hard. Unless he's counting elephants in his head at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess there must have been very accurate timepieces in, but not like the watch he uses. I guess so. Um, Where do we go from here? Because my next note just says in big letters, Nuclear Reactor Room. <laughs> On the door of the nuclear reactor room. Yes. Um, before all of this, there is a kind of running gag, and I, and I don't remember a payoff to it, of whenever Delaney is talking to Rabowski and they're in the like the scientific magazine offices, a man just walks through shot and regardless of what they're doing, just goes, hi. And Delaney always just pauses and goes, hi. And he's gone, and that's it. It happens like three to three or four times. And I'm like, is that a running gag they forget to pay off, or what? I think it is. I think it's part of the patter that doesn't work. Yeah. And I was just like, um, what the hell? Like, is I think it's just to add. I think it's just to add. It's to make it. It's to make it move faster. Mm. It's to make the make the scene, the dialogue move faster, uh, and it's to. Yeah, make make it seem like there's more going on than there actually is. Yeah. Um, it would be it would be better if there was a payoff. Mm. It seems alarmingly easy to lock someone inside said nuclear reactor room because <laughs> there was a big bar you could pull down on the outside, yeah. but no way of opening that from the inside. Well, yeah, no, I guess not. I can't really answer that. It, no. the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We should get into the villain's plan, really, and why there's a nuclear reactor room. Oh, yeah, the Argentinians. Are they Argentinians? Yeah. Yeah, yes, they are yeah, Argentinians, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Yes. Uh, somebody, I, there was a a uh, disclaimer slash warning notice that flashed up before the film talking about a dialogue that may be considered insensitive these days. 
Yes, and um, I was just and like, oh, what and do they nothing say? happened, and nothing happened, and nothing happened, and then somebody massively slurs the Argentinian guy. Yeah, it's just yeah. like which I will not repeat. No, no, yeah, and and he's just like he's so unnecessary as well. It's not even a necessary yeah. piece of dialogue. No, uh, yeah. So anyway, the Argentinian. Well, I mean, it's st- it's still it's still slightly better than the dog in the dam. Well, that's true. Yes. Um. The, the yeah. So the Argentinians own a tungsten mine, right? Or a yes. company that mines tungsten, and uh, the basic uh, industrial espionage element of it is that Rayner has managed to create some form of artificial tungsten. Um, yes, like it's he's he's essentially an alchemist in some way, shape, or form. Like he's trying to create an element within a lab, and tungsten. I think Delaney, as part of his talking to the uh, the factory manager. Um, he does refer to it as alchemy. Mm, right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So that and that's why he's saying. And basically, they don't want him to do that because they've got a mine and they're mining it and selling it. So they mm-hmm. don't want to devalue their product. So they hatch an elaborate plan to get somebody, have them have plastic surgery, kill Rayner, take his place, and uh, essentially cause a nuclear reaction. Uh, in the lab that yes. will, would probably blow up half of London um, which seems an extreme plan well they just say it will destroy the lab yes yes that's but true yeah if you're if you're planning to blow up a nuclear reactor it's it's not going to be confined to said lab no not at all not at all no uh, yeah so it seems a little bit over the top uh, and there's there's yes. uh, essentially a guy who is probably some sort of evil nazi doctor who yes. is trying to repent a bit um but still his ego uh gets him really because he can't he can't just you know someone starts fawning over his work doesn't he and he gets all dewy-eyed and then throws himself in front of a bus um yes yeah so it, it's yeah he had that he had the most interesting character arc mm. of anybody in the film yeah absolutely and it's a five minute like he's in maybe four scenes yeah. like his total screen time is maybe five minutes yeah and that's the thing it's like i feel there is so much in this that just not enough mm. was made out of and they they focused on the wrong thing or they just didn't you know it just didn't quite come off uh yeah yeah the thing they are going to use to cause this uh, nuclear reactor explosion appears to be just a tube of primary school glitter. <laughs> That's what it, it looks like, like on the yeah, screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does look like that. Probably was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I mean, that's it really. And then the police are trying to foil it, and so is Delaney and Rabowski. Um, hmm. And sort of Delaney and Rabowski sort of figure it out and get there to find that the police have already figured it out and stopped it anyway. Yeah. And I may have been writing a note or whatever. What happened to Rayner in the hospital bed? I mean, I didn't write it down if anything did happen. I just don't, don't think you even go back to him after they've recorded his interview. No, I don't even know if there was a, and Rainer's going to be just fine no, line. I don't remember that at all. I, and I just assumed I must have just, my interest must have lapsed for the brief moment that they concluded that part of the story. But apparently not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, this is a weird combination of 
I don't know, name an industrial espionage movie, um, plus The Man in the White Suit, mm. plus Face Off, than it is Time Slippy. <laughs> yes, yeah, chuck a bit of Thunderball in as well, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's, I don't know, there's there is very little slipping in time in this film called Time Slip. Yeah. Um, although, there's a German bloke in this. Mm. He's the guy who outs the, yes. accidentally outs the, uh, the, the Nazi doctor. Yeah. Is he German or um, is he Austrian? I think he's Austrian because I think the implication is that the Nazi doctor is a German Nazi, but the the other guy because right. he says I saw you, I think in Vienna or wherever. So oh, I okay. Think they, he has a he has yeah. he has a Germanic he accent. Does, yeah. I would yeah. imagine German is his mother tongue. Yeah. Anyway, he has an explanation of what the time slip is, and I wish I'd written it down because it's an all timer stretch of movie logic. Oh, it, uh, let me see if I can remember it. So when the man dies. His heart stopped for seven and a half seconds, but his brain kept working. And then when his heart restarted again, he was seven seconds in the future. <laughs> his brain was seven seconds ahead. Because, yes. <laughs> I mean, because this thing, he was like... Because movie! Yeah. Well, no, he says, because normally when someone dies, their brain stops working. And it's like, well... No, it doesn't. It doesn't stop until the blood flow stops. In the cause of stops. brain death, yes, but yeah. yeah. Like, so, that, I mean, and I'm pretty sure that was a known thing in 1955 because there are reports of, like, from the 1500s of beheadings and stuff where the, the beheaded heads carried the head on doing carry on things. blinking yeah. and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, that's definitely never been a thing. So I think you're right. It's just movie logic, but that was his explanation, yeah, was, and I was like, "It okay. was so weird." Speaking of logic, the one person you would expect in this film to use logic and reason at all possible points would be the police inspector, right? And there's a scene where the he and the doctor and Delaney and uh, and the photographer are sitting around discussing this time slip business. I think it's even in this explanation scene, right? Um. And they're all giving their theories, and the man you'd think would use logic and reason goes, he's clearly a clairvoyant. <laughs> Amazing. Um, is tomato juice a code? Well, she says Because Rabowski drinks a lot of them. She calls it a tomato juice cocktail, doesn't she? She At does early on, but then later on she just calls it tomato yeah. juice. And Pat, the bartender, seemed very concerned that she might be dive- driving. Pat, by the way, well dodgy. <laughs> like he was, he was prepared to give her items to murder people without batting an eyelid. Yeah, I. And like, even after she takes the ice pick, he's he pulls out a bottle of poison and goes, "Oh, this would be far more." <laughs> he was definitely in the IRA. Like, <laughs> he's. I I keep an eye on him. Uh, yeah, I can only assume they were like you know Bloody Mary shots. That's what it seemed to be. I guess so. I don't know. I think know. it must have been like vodka and, and tomato juice or something like that. Um, the mm. other bit is when, um, so, you know, after all of the, once uh, Delaney's kind of figured everything out and he kind of captures um, fake, fake Rainer. Rainer, whose name is Jarvis. Um, yes. And he sort of drags him out of the warehouse where he's tracked into it. And, there's, and, and he's like, well, just in case the other guys that he's probably killed aren't dead, he decides to disable their car by shooting the petrol tank three times. <laughs> and, and like this has to be the only apart from outside of 21 jump street this has to be the only time a movie petrol tank has been shot on camera and not immediately exploded it, it, exactly and it's just like 
If it was full of chickens, it would have gone up immediately. I, I know it's one of like the most famous Mythbusters myths they ever busted. It's just like, you know, you shoot a petrol tank and it doesn't explode. And yeah. it was just like, it was it, it was so anticlimactic because it, you don't even see the side of the car where where he shoots. Mm. So it's only if you happen to notice the liquid like pissing out the side of the car down by the tyre that you know that until he shot the, the liquid tank. came out until the liquid came out which i'm convinced was just a hose taped to the back Absolutely of the thing was, off camera, yeah, yeah um i thought he was going for the tires yeah and it, yeah which would please the man from cinema sins <laughs> um uh there was a bit i did like towards the end so the the the, the man we've been calling the nazi doctor is a man called dr bressler yeah um and he is sent to um, finally kill off Rainer in person in hospital. Right. Yeah. And he has a he has a syringe uh, that he's going to inject him. I don't know what he's going to inject him cyanide. with. It's something. There we go. Cyanide. Um, uh, and he's going to go and inject him with that. And then at the very end, just as he's about to do it, his conscience half gets the better mm. of him. And instead, he swaps it with a, a syringe of um, uh, Ranger's medication that's by the side of the mm-hmm. bed and leaves yeah. instead. And he's like, I'm still going to complete. It's kind of like, I'm still going to complete. My task will still be completed, but I'm not the one who's going to complete yes, it. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. I quite like that as a character moment. Yes. I That was, subtle's not the right word. That was, that was more nuanced than i was expecting from this film given what we'd seen previously. absolutely yeah yeah i did again that moment did kind of stand out as this like Mm. because he states i can't kill anyone i can't i can't do that i can't do that and the Mm. guy's like well your experiments you must have done this that and the other and it alludes to his past yeah right he does have that moment where it's like i can't do this but somebody else can yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um uh, we, we're getting to the end of the notes here. Yeah. Um, there's some ahead of its time um, born identity by a born identity handheld wobbly camera work in the fight slash rescue scene. Yeah. Uh, because of course, Rabowski gets captured. She's a woman in a fifties movie. Yeah. Um, and Delaney sets off to rescue her. And his rescue plan is climbing through the window and tackle three blokes head on, including a massive Argentinian guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last. Do you know what the last line of this film is? No, I don't. Aren't we, baby? Sorry, you. Li- what a fucking <laughs> lame ending. That's the the last three words of the film are "Aren't we, oh, baby?" All right, I was going to say because I didn't know because your your, uh, your our internet connection went funny and you just froze. <laughs> for, oh, for, for well, I'm back now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, it's one of those movies you think, oh, what could have been ripe for a remake, yeah. I think. I think it is, actually. You could, yeah. Think, yeah. It's, the, the, the movies, I think, are best for a remake are films with a great premise that have been executed badly, and this is exactly yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. I think you could do something um, really interesting with it now. First day of principal photography for this was February the 4th, 1955, and it released in November that year. Oh, that's fast. Turn around. That's very fast. Mm. Um, we've made short films that have taken longer yeah, than that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, what have I written? Uh, yeah, 
the there's a thread of a good movie here, but it's not as clever or funny as it thinks it is. It's Brits trying to replicate Billy Wilder style, fast paced Hollywood patter, and it doesn't quite work. Also, that the time slipped guy spends the entire film in a hospital bed is very disappointing. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think there's so much more that could be done with that. Mm. So much, much more. But hey ho, it is what it is. Well, start writing. Okay. <laughs> Um, so that's it. That's our our review of Time Slip slash The Atomic Man, nineteen fifty five, directed by Ken Hughes. Yeah, yeah. Um, a a resounding meh. <laughs> yeah, perfect, per- yeah. perfect uh, way to end a series. Um, yeah, not with a bang, but with yeah, a whimper. I think that's, that's how we start with Time Bandits, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is normally where we do pictures, but we don't have any because this is a, this is a silly one-off episode. Yeah. I will say to people that you should go and watch the video-only bonus episode on our YouTube channel. It is on the 1982 cult, I'm going to put classic in inverted commas, uh, action. I'm going to put in action in inverted commas film uh, Megaforce, uh, yeah. which was uh, which is a blast to watch and record. <laughs> um, I guess all there is to do is the usual sort of social media plugs, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are on Twitter slash Instagram at HYS Podcast. Uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash have you seen podcast. The website is have you seen dot net. The email is HYS Podcast at gmail.com, although I don't know what you're going to email to us. Just, I don't know. Just uh, say nice things. Christmas wishes. Yeah. Just nice things. Yeah. Just say nice things to pictures us. Pictures of bunnies. Tom likes okay. bunnies. Send pictures yeah. of bunnies. Um, speaking of Tom, there's no bunnies in it, but Tom made a feature length mm-hmm. documentary which is now included in your Amazon Prime subscription. Yeah. It is called The Easy Bit, and you should watch it. Thank you. Yes. I'm, I don't let him plug his own stuff anymore. No, it's much easier it if is. I do. It is. You do it better than me. That's it, really? Yeah. Yeah. We shall sail off into the sunset, never to return. Or will we? Well, I don't know about never. Maybe. Probably. Possibly. Seven and a half seconds? Maybe not that quick. Goodbye. Bye.